0: Welcome to the Engineering Career Conversations. I'm Krista Downey, Director of the Engineering Career Center at Cornell University.
1: And I'm Tracy Nathan's kelly Director of the Engineering Communications Program. We are excited to bring you this forum where we will host lively conversations that we hope will inspire you.
0: Today we have Jessica Olson, who graduated in 2021 with a bachelor's degree in civil and environmental engineering. Jessica is currently an infrastructure design engineer for the U.S. Air Force and tutors local community college students in math and chemistry. Welcome, Jessica.
2: Hi. Thank you for having me. It's
0: a pleasure. Jessica, can you please uh, talk with us about the work that you are currently doing?
2: Sure. Um, so right now I am working um, under the Palace acquired program through the US Air Force. Um, so I work as an infrastructure design engineer for portable water systems. Um, so I'm currently stationed at a joint base McGuire dix Lakehurst in central New Jersey. Um, and the base is really interesting because it has Army, Navy and FBI and Air Force all located on the same base. Um, So I'm responsible for designing the infrastructure that allows us to get water out of our tap. So anytime there's a rupture in a line, um, any new construction is going on, I'm able to go in and actually design how that water gets from our water treatment facilities uh, to our buildings. And I'm also undergoing um, a water quality study. um, And that's looking at how to improve the quality of water that we provide to everybody on base.
1: I love it. Now, we were interested in, in how you got to this spot. So let's go back in time a little bit. Now, your engineering training at Cornell was no doubt rigorous, but can you explore for us what it's like to transition from being a student into being a practicing professional?
2: Sure. Um, so I actually participated in the co-op uh, partnership while I was at Cornell, um, so that was really influential for me to take a break in my education and understand what an office environment is like. So I did my co-op with Langan Engineering and Environmental Services, which is a private consulting firm. So there's also a dichotomy there between my government practice now and then private consulting. Um, so that was a, a, a different experience in the way that we were the the client where we were contracted out to do work all over the country. So we were building Amazon warehouses in Colorado to monitoring landfills right in New Jersey. And now working for the government, we are the owners. So we're able to execute whatever work need be. And making that transition from my education to working full-time has been really interesting for me because when you're at school, you kind of have short-term goals set up. I have this assignment due by this date. I'm going to be taking these classes next semester. We're now working on years-long projects, so I have to kind of transition my short-term thinking to long-term thinking and then also try to keep up-to-date in the field. Now that I'm kind of separated from learning about all these advanced technologies, I have to put in the effort up front to learn about what's going on in academia while I'm kind of sequestered away in my cubicle.
1: <laughs> it, as an instructor, that's a really interesting point, right? Like things are chosen and we give them to the students and they read them. And now you have to be really self-directed. How do you choose what to read or, or where to plant your your time in keeping up to date? Uh,
2: so I've actually joined a lot of um, email lists through universities that are interested in their research, so they'll send out monthly reports on what they're doing in their labs, um, and I find that really informative to be able to read up on the, the research that's actively ongoing, because by the time that that information is disseminated into the public via the news or textbook, um, or some sort of magazine that's sent out through a professional society, it could be years before that information comes to, to professionals in that way. So I think it's important to be invested in, in that source of information.
1: That's a really interesting point about that lag time. You know, the, the, the newsletters where they're basically bragging on the research that is being done in the moment is a much different thing than waiting for the journals to come out. That's a great point.
0: I love that. That's so great for our faculty (laughs) to hear, but also for our students who are thinking about undergraduate research and thinking about the impact that might have. I love that. Excellent. Uh, Speaking of students, so you tutor students at a community college. It's a wonderful way to reach out. And I'm wondering, what is it about that work that you find invigorating and uh, exciting and maybe even challenging?
2: Sure. So the, the major challenge that we're seeing now is there's still a lag from pandemic style learning. So students that didn't connect with the the online modality um, are having trouble as they're progressing into their more advanced courses. So it's it's challenging for me to sit down and see that they may be taking calculus one, but they're struggling with pre concepts. So I really have to sit and think about the progression of a math or chemistry-based education and find those building blocks. Because as you you know, you know, get older, you learn more, you go into the workforce and you're doing this stuff regularly, you kind of jump over steps in your head and you don't necessarily think about every single minute calculation that you're doing or even how you developed those roots of thinking. So to be able to sit down and think about each individual step has been really helpful for me to to understand how I've gotten to this point. And then just being able to help these students. They're kind of in similar situations as I am, where a lot of them are working full-time, taking classes at night, which I've done before. Um, they have families. So it's really interesting in the community college environment to see how everyone is still reaching out for education and how we could help them achieve that.
1: I think that connection to the community in that way is just so Important and interesting, and I applaud you for doing that work. It's hard work, isn't it to to walk in and do that tutoring? It's different every time.
2: Exactly, and in, in the community college, we actually have our own tutoring center, so students can uh, have walk-in appointments, scheduled appointments, and someone's always there to help. So it's a unique experience compared to some universities where you have to reach out to a TA who may be busy with their own research or teaching other courses. So being able to be available is really important to the students.
1: So did you, I I just, I'm curious more than anything, you chose to do this tutoring at the community college because, fill in the blank?
2: (laughs) Sure. So I have taken classes there ever since high school. So I'm actually in my hometown right now. Um, So I was taking environmental science courses there, biology courses through the community college. On my summer breaks at Cornell, I'd be coming back and taking courses and, you know, topics that I just didn't have the time to investigate while I was at Cornell. So I was taking psychology courses, philosophy courses, things that didn't necessarily fit into my engineering curriculum. And so now coming back home and working my full-time job, another adjustment that I've been going through is you don't necessarily have homework. You go from your nine to five, and then you kind of have this empty space that you have the opportunity to fill. And it was challenging at first because when you're in school, you could always find something to study or another summit to get started on. So being able to actually explore anything that I want to do was really valuable to me. So just looking for things to volunteer with, um, ways to get involved in my community and ways that I've missed out on for the four years that I was gone. It was really important to me to be able to help out um, in an institution that helped me for so many years.
1: That is such a generous, positive growth mindset. <laughs> Wonderful thing for for all of us to hear. Thank you for that. Thank you. I love that. So these
0: students that you are tutoring and also thinking back to yourself when you were one of those high school students or you were a first or second year student um, at Cornell, what, what do you wish you knew back then?
2: I wish that I knew that it was okay to take time to make decisions. I always felt like I was pressured by the semester schedule or coming in saying, you're the class of 2021, you know, that's when we're kicking you out in a way. You have to be done with all of your learning by then, all of your exploration of these different topics. And I think when I was younger, I was so focused on getting those classes done, joining a research lab, joining a project team, maybe I missed out on reflecting on some of that personal growth that came along with that. So now that I've been able to take continuing education courses um, outside of my undergraduate degree and kind of reflect on what education means to me, it's important to take that time and understand what your goal is. And if you have to readjust, readjust what you sign up as your major for your freshman year, what you write your common application essay about isn't written in stone.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So when you think about your goals and your, you know, your goals for your career, your vision for your career, what do you think about?
2: I'm really interested in going back to graduate school. Um, So I actually applied for master's programs for the upcoming academic year. So I'm hoping to transition my focus into more hands-on work. What I do now is partly design work on the computer mixed in with some field work, going out and seeing what the actual construction is like, what these facilities are like. But I loved being in the lab. That was really the hallmark of my undergraduate experience. So I'm looking to go back and do more research in water quality, whether it be emerging contaminants of concern or water management, Um, and then trying to transition that to my career in the DOD, where you could research in national laboratories, or you could work hands-on at any of their facilities. Um, Coastal resilience projects is another sector that I'm interested in delving into, Um, or you can stay within this environmental civil sector.
1: Uh, I I have a question that comes, it's not on anything that we have thought about before, but as you've been talking, I'm recalling some work that I did with uh, water remediation people. It was a private company. Mm-hmm. Water remediation people with the Bureau of Indian Affairs and water remediation people with uh, the Army inside the Department of Defense, actually on site in Afghanistan. So think I'm thinking about these three folks that I worked with in the past and your point about having the time you know, when you're in school, there's these semester blocks, or here's your midterm or whatever. But having these expansive projects that are multi-year, how does that mindset kind of change the way that you do the problem solving?
2: So when I think about these projects now, I have to think about the regulations and the research that's going into it. So we're at a really interesting nexus of water research now, because we're starting to understand these emerging contaminants of concern. So whether that be PFOS or benzene, things that we've been using for decades, but within the last few years have realized the negative impact on human health accumulation in the environment. So it's interesting with having to balance the work that's been done previously with all of these new findings that are coming about so quickly. So your projects, they're never really done. They change day by day, making sure that you're staying up to date with these federal regulations. So in that case, I am a student of water policy, where I have to keep referencing these websites, keep referencing these same laws that are updated with different addendums maybe every year now. So even within the next 10 years, I think the way that we do things will speed up, but also become more challenging and that we have to face these remediation concerns.
1: That's really, thank you for that. You know, because I've noticed it's such a big difference here. Um, Krista has a question for you now.
0: (laughs) here, impressed with just your growth mindset, your openness to learning, your eagerness to learn really is coming out and shining through all of this and knowing that there's so much more out there to learn and that um, information is changing as we go along. That's an important message for all of us in every field. Uh, but for your field, it sounds like you are particularly drawn toward a vision of Clean water for everybody. You know, there's something there about water, some related issues. And I'm wondering, what are some other organizations that are important collaborators toward this brighter future, this brighter vision of yours?
2: So the issue with water policy um, and maybe the benefit in some situations is that, you know, there's the federal umbrella for the EPA of who, you know, formally decides on all of these regulations and then there's state level regulations even down to the local level and then private organizations like the world health organization or the, the you know clean water initiatives that come in to influence the work but where i've done most of my work in new jersey new jersey and california are considered some of the most progressive states for water uh, legislature so that feeds into a history of a lot of water pollution, unfortunately. So being able to work in a place where you have to consider your state may be regulating these contaminants, but other states aren't. It's interesting to see the almost level of privilege that we have that we can provide or have to provide cleaner water.
1: It kind of follows, um, we have another question that we wanted to, and it links up perfectly with what you were just saying, but what's the most significant challenge you faced in your work then? How'd you overcome that?
2: Sure. The most significant (laughs) challenge is really just the unknown health issues that come along with these contaminants. So we're just learning that PFAS kind of accumulates in the human body. 95% of us have it within us at levels that are dangerous they're carcinogenic and they don't degrade in the environment. A lot of these newer chemicals or chemicals that were created to, you know, be using fire retardants that are used in our food packaging to be anti-grease agents, they don't degrade. So we're trying to figure out the technology and the equipment to break those down into non-harmful components. So that work will take, you know, decades to actually implement that in the environment because, They move with the groundwater, they move with the soil, kind of lose track of them in a way. They plume out and they infiltrate every aspect of the ecosystem.
0: It's important and fascinating work. Um, So, what advice or insight would you share with a student who is interested in learning more or following along on a similar path?
2: I think it was really important for me to go and do a co op um, to see what projects are out there. You could learn about it in the classroom, which we do a lot of Cornell, which is great, but being out, able to actually go out there and do sampling on a landfill or go monitor these you know, volatile substances in somebody's home, that's really important to understand what you can actually do. And when you go in and do these types of internships, they usually don't require you stay on one project. You can do a little bit of everything. So that minimizes the pressure and the stress of having to execute and be successful on one project, which I think I was worried about because at that point I'd only taken you know, three, two semesters, three semesters of college work. So I didn't feel necessarily qualified to be working as an engineer, but they give you just a little bit of a sample of what you can do. And that provides a lot of context and informs what elective courses you wanna take, what research you wanna go into. And like I said previously, the program I'm in now is a two-year kind of rotational internship where I'm taking courses through the Air Force about environmental management, stormwater management, things like that, and also working on multiple projects. So if you really don't feel like you know exactly what you want to do, which is not really what I know what I want to do, I want to work in this you know general sector of improving water quality, but that can mean a million different things. Uh, specific work, so it's important to have to to go in and just try everything that you can. And Cornell does a great job at allowing you all those different types of opportunities through lab work, project teams, and then going out on your co-op.
1: Yeah, great advice. As we as we end each of these, we have a little series of quick round, fun, more fun questions. (laughs) And so one of them that we like to ask everybody is, well, what do you like to do? All this hard work, what do you do to relax or have fun or re-energize yourself as you move through your day?
2: Sure. Um, Well, I grew up dancing, so I love to still go do dance classes, Pilates, things like that. Um, I'm grateful to still live by the ocean, so I love to I can't swim this time of year, unfortunately, but if it was summertime, I would be swimming or just taking walks on the beach, just being in the environment. And I love to read.
1: I've been on a Jersey beach in wintertime. It's a little chilly.
2: But it's... Yes, the polar plunge is coming up in a few weeks. <laughs> it really, really nice. It's, it's
1: still <laughs> nice though, right? It's a beach, whatever. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes, yes. On a sunny day, it's beautiful.
0: Right. Do you have any favorite books you've read this year that you recommend?
2: Yeah, actually, I brought one here. I wrote it down on our... our um, intake form, but it's it's Water 4.0 by Professor David Sedlick. So he is a professor at uh, UC Berkeley. And he also came to speak to my class. I took a continuing education course in wastewater management at Princeton last spring. Um, so we were tasked to read this book. Um, and he came in to, to talk to us about his development of it. And it, it's a really interesting read for anyone that's interested in the, the field. It brings you from ancient Roman Water infrastructure to the bucket era, which would be considered like Tudor England using buckets for wastewater and freshwater, all the way up to today, and how we're using these wild wastewater treatment facilities and really never have to address the idea of dirty water ever again in these more privileged countries.
1: Absolutely. Like, I'm putting it on my mental list right now. <laughs> I love, I obviously love working with people that do water things, uh, including like, you know, the projects here on campus as well. So that was really fun. Good.
0: So one more question. If you were not doing the work right now, what would you be doing?
2: I think that I would have taken the environmental science route and I think I would be working with coral or coastal species. I just love working in the field
0: And I'd love to have more of that. Excellent. Jessica, this has been a fun conversation. We invited you here because we were inspired by the work that you're doing. You're working to make the world a healthier, more sustainable, more equitable place. And to meet you, well, I already knew you, but to chat with you now, where you are now, and just see what a lifelong learner you are is very inspiring. Thank you.
2: Thank you. Thank you for this conversation. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed yeah. the conversation.
0: Join us for the next episode where we will be celebrating excellence and innovation among engineers whose impact contributes to a healthier, more equitable, and more sustainable world.